The Craig Fawley Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Lynette's Shrimp House, located in Highland Park. It's Metro Detroit's premier destination, serving juicy fried shrimp, fish, and wings, alongside soul food sides and new additions to the menu, like turkey tacos and desserts. Located at 13548 Woodward in Highland Park, just north of the Davison, Lynette's is open for takeaway, noon to 8, Tuesday and Thursday, noon to 10 p.m. Friday and Saturday, and noon to 5 p.m. on Sunday. Call now, get some Lynette's. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Very glad to have you with me on what is a Tuesday here in Detroit, the final day in August, as a matter of fact. And it is shocking to me at how quickly this summer has actually gone by. Just a few more weeks of nice weather before things start to cool down. I'm okay with that, actually. I love the four seasons here in Michigan. But, you know, it is sad to think that, uh, you know, maybe summer is coming to an end, although it is a bit exciting for everybody that's out there right now, finally getting a chance to go back into classrooms, hopefully doing so safely. And uh, I know it's a big deal for everybody in college, high school, and all the way down to pre-K um, to be able to get back to normalcy. And it's going to be really important for a lot of parents as well. And hopefully this goes well sidetrack issue here. I just wanted to say that because I've been thinking about it quite a bit. Uh, All right. So what I do want to talk about on today's program, though, is the fact that the Republicans in the state of Michigan are going to launch a petition drive. And what they're trying to do is get voters to sign these petitions so they can go to the legislature uh, with a plan for voter ID in the state, voter ID requirements. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on today's show talking about whether or not I agree or disagree with voter ID. Um, I think there's some wiggle room there and there's uh, some nuance that we could have in that discussion on another day. But what I do want to talk about is the way that this is being done. Now, what they're doing here is going around the governor because they passed these laws, of course, in the legislature, knowing that the governor could veto them. The Republicans do not have the votes to override a gubernatorial veto on this issue. But Michigan, and only Michigan, has a system which allows a referendum process to get around a governor's veto. Now, how it works is this. They gather a certain number of signatures, an incredibly low number of signatures that they have to get, roughly about 120th of the electorate, maybe a little bit less, actually. And the legislature can then decide whether or not to take up the issue. And if they pass it, even on a simple majority... There is nothing that the governor can do. It is not eligible uh, for veto by the governor. So in effect, you are eliminating uh, the governor's veto power in the state of Michigan. Other states don't do this. The federal government doesn't do it. Now, this is something that I had a discussion with not that long ago with my friend John Lindstrom. Now, John is the former publisher at Gongwer News Service. They are uh, capital news service up in Lansing that has been around for a long, long time, and they do an incredibly thorough job at uh, making sure people know what is going on at the state capitol. And John and I had a discussion about some changes we thought needed to be made to the Michigan Constitution. We talked about how that would work, how difficult it can be to do, and about how reluctant citizens typically are when it comes to rewriting the entire Constitution, but they seem willing to vote on individual issues like this, or at least sign their name to them. There's no real vote that takes place. So the question here is, is this good for Michigan's democracy to have this system in place? 
We talked about it, and I want to pick up that conversation from a couple of months ago and bring it back to you today because I think it was important. I had a few of you listen to this before, and if you've heard it before, well, my apologies, but I think it's important that we talk about this and talk to our friends about this because I think this is something that we might need to think about changing here in the state of Michigan. Again, here's my conversation with John Lindstrom, former publisher of Gongwer here in the state. One of the things that we have in the Constitution, and it was... uh, a holdover from earlier constitutions is a very strong referendum and initiative section in the constitution, at least theoretically very strong. And the issue is though, that there's some caveats, some loopholes in that section, which in the last several decades have been used quite a bit and have really weakened in many respects, the aspects of the initiative and referendum uh, uh, section mm-hmm. of, the, of the constitution. So. What I'm proposing is that there need to be a couple of amendments added to the Constitution, which only the people can do, which would strengthen uh, the initiative and referendum uh, um, portions. Well, and and as you mentioned, I mean, Michigan residents are not averse to amending the Constitution. We've done it a bunch of times, but we are, for some reason, unwilling to reopen the whole document. And I'm wondering, just from your perspective and your experience, why you think that is? I mean, does it is it simply that opening the whole Constitution seems to be a can of worms that people don't want to don't want to deal with? In large measure, I think that's the primary reason Um, is, is a great deal of concern. We've had other constitutional conventions in this state that. Uh, drafted proposals that were not adopted. We haven't had one, obviously, since the early 60s. But uh, I think the main fear is what could a constitution end up looking like? Obviously, the people would still have to approve it. Um, But when you look at the divisiveness that we have and how, in many respects, the parties are growing so extreme, it's, it's hard to tell what you might find added to it. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, our constitution, uh, we are the oldest uh, English-speaking government on the planet to have banned capital punishment. Yep. But we didn't do it constitutionally until the current constitution. And, and there's a fellow, he's one of the very last CONCON delegates alive, Gene Wagner, uh, who was the author of that amendment. And uh, he was a Republican, a Republican from the Lansing area, And when the Constitution was being debated, he put the proposal up and it passed not unanimously, but with an extremely wide majority of both Republicans and Democrats. Okay, what happens if we get a new CONCON? Would they want to continue the the death penalty uh, repeal? Uh, Who knows? There have been several attempts unsuccessful, not for a long time, but several attempts to uh, put a constitutional amendment on the ballot to repeal the death penalty, to repeal that ban. Um, so that's just one example, but who knows, you could add all kinds of other things that in the end, they they could dramatically affect the universities, for example, which have uh, autonomy and you could make them more like state universities in other states. Uh, you had, for example, now this goes back to when Mount St. Helens blew in the state (laughs) of Washington, but the state of Washington does not have an income tax. And Yes, the federal government dumped all kinds of money in the state of Washington, but they had to, they had to come up with a lot of money themselves. And they raised every source of revenue they could come up with, including massive tuition increases at the universities, not one penny of which went to the universities. They all went to the general fund to help pay for what was happening with Mount St. Helens. Texas in the 1980s, when the oil crash happened, did the same thing to the universities in Texas, raised tuitions quite high, but none of the money went to the universities. 
So in Michigan, we're a little we're a little insulated from that kind of thing. Well, let's talk uh, specifically about what you're writing about uh, in this latest blog post. Again, it is found on Link- on LinkedIn. So follow John on LinkedIn if you want to read this stuff. But it's really, really good. Uh, the referendum process here in Michigan um, seems to be broken in, in a couple of ways. Uh, it-, it has been utilized in recent years to do an end run around a governor a governor's veto. Uh, where basically all you have to do is get the signatures of about 300 something thousand people and the legislature can vote on something and the governor cannot veto it in that situation. Now, a lot of people weren't aware of this until they started seeing like right to life of Michigan go out and get a number of signatures to get anti-abortion measures passed that they would never get through the legislature, even if the legislature was friendly, but a governor would not have been friendly to this and they don't have the votes to override. You can just do an end run around the governor, which seems to me to be uh, an imbalance in the balance of, of powers uh, that's supposed to exist in a state like Michigan. Yeah, the theory, the theory in the provision and the Constitution is that if if enough people have signed signatures to put it on the ballot, it has to be eight percent of the registered voter uh, signatures equal to the registered voters in the state. And they all have to be registered voters who have signed the petition. Um, then that, ex- in fact, expresses the will of the people. And, and therefore, the legislature is given 40 days to uh, approve the bill. And if they do so, the governor cannot veto it because it comes from a higher authority. It comes from the people of the state. I mean, every bill that is introduced in the legislature begins the same way. The people of the state of Michigan enact. And, and they are, under the Constitution, the primary political power, the people. The problem that we've run into, now you, you mentioned right to life. They're the first ones that really employed this. And I'm not criticizing right to life. Uh, we're no, doing they took this. advantage of the law that was on they, the books. They, they took advantage of the, what was there. But you've now had a number of different initiatives start up because of the fact that people now pay people to collect petition signatures. When this provision was originally written back, going back even before this constitution, that was who who would have thought of that as a market? Who would have thought of that as, as a business profile or a business plan? But it is something that happens these days. And this is what goes on. And this is one of the reasons why we've had a number of situations, in fact, where some of those petition proposals failed because people they were having trouble getting legitimate signatures. So they just made names up so they yes. could get paid for them. But you have you, you had an example, uh, for example, in the early nine in, uh, in the early 2000s. There was a very, very wealthy physician um, who paid to put a proposal on the ballot to ban bear hunting in the state. And and it got on the ballot in the legislature. There's another provision where the legislature can put a a law basically opposing that proposal on the ballot as well. Uh, They put up something that would change how the how the the uh, uh, Natural Resources Commission handles uh, deciding issues on, on game seasons. But that's that's one example of, of you know, you've got a really wealthy person and, and there's a lot of wealthy people in this world, not as many as there should be. I think you and I would like to be among that crowd, but uh, <laughs> uh, who can, you know, this is their hobby. They'll just turn around and dump a million bucks to get something on the ballot. But, but and I, I we've think, seen, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, but but the thing that, that we've seen recently uh, that troubles me the most about this, though, is that this this has become the beginning strategy instead of an end strategy. Exactly uh, if right. you know you've got something that's not popular, but it might be popular with just enough legislators on one side, you go this route because gathering signatures and paying somebody to do it is easier than crafting a bill that's going to get through 
uh, the House and the Senate, and then, of course, get the governor's signature. So this has become the go-to strategy as opposed to as opposed to a, a last-ditch strategy, which we've seen it being used at in the past, especially when it comes to like the governor's powers. We're seeing this right now. Right. Yes, exactly. The Unlock Michigan um, proposal, which has gone around um, and has been held up because of a division in the uh, State Board of Canvassers, uh, there's no question that their their plan was not to put it on the ballot. Uh, with all the controversy, the governor is still relatively popular, uh, especially given the fact that she did act decisively uh, in terms of the pandemic. Obviously, she made mistakes, but she still acted decisively and obviously had the people's best interest at heart. Um, but this is not intended to go to the voters. This is intended for the legislature to act on it. The other thing that's coming up, uh, we now have the legislature, which is under Republican control, has introduced a large series of bills which would dramatically change voting in this state and dramatically change it to make it harder to vote. Uh, you want to call it voter suppression, fine, but it is no. there's no question it will be harder to vote sure. if these bills pass. The governor is going to veto them. There's no question about that. So the uh, Republican state Republican chair, Ron Weiser, has has said several times that the plan is for the party to get a petition drive going to gather the 340,000 something signatures needed to then present that to the legislature, have the legislature pass these bills because they're now part of a petition, an initiative petition, and the governor can do nothing to veto them. And and here's the other little thing that you point out in your piece that that people need to be aware of. They can then make it so that the public can't go back and try to do anything about it later by putting in a small appropriation of of really pretty much any amount. And it could be for administrative costs or something like that. And it doesn't really have to they don't have to spend any money on this. But if they put a little bit of money into it, it makes it referendum proof going forward. This is a, there, there are three sections to the to the uh, provision on, on initiative and referendum. There's the petition signature requirement for constitutional amendments. There's the petition signature requirement for initiated acts. And then there is the petition requirement for a referendum. And that is specifically on legislation passed by the legislature. Mm-hmm. Now, the Constitution, uh, the framers of the Constitution wanted to make sure that you couldn't hold referendums on, for example, the budget. Yes. Or if if which the, makes the, sense. Yes. Or it, or as it says, if the state's def, if the state's funds are insufficient, that could mean either legislation allowing borrowing or a tax bill. So they want to make sure that those weren't covered by it. So they put a provision in there saying money's used for appropriations. Those bills cannot be used for uh, cannot be subject to referendum. There was never any question that that was intended to deal with the actual budget. Now, in the early 2000s again, legislation to expand the state's concealed weapons permits was passed by the legislature. Very, very controversial legislation. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, you know, it was, it was one of those things where it was controversial on both sides. You had Democrats, Republicans in favor of it, and Democrats and Republicans opposed to it. And it was not, no question that it was going to go to a referendum. So they came up with the idea, the supporters of this, to add funds to the bill, basically to administer the program. Sufficient petition signatures were gathered to uh, put a referendum up. There was a suit. The case went to the Supreme Court. And on a four to three decision, and this was at a time when you had a Republican majority on the Supreme Court, 
and and it was a so-called rule of law, which means nothing, uh, court, that they said, well, there's money in it, therefore it's an appropriation act. The dissenting justices kept pointing out that when this matter was debated before the constitutional framers, they made it plain. This was to deal with the budget and not anything else. So you've now had a number of circumstances where money has been added to a bill to prevent it from being a referendum. Let me give you another example. As you'll recall, when Governor Snyder was in office, they passed the emergency manager legislation. Yep. The people held a referendum on it and they voted it out. So the state turned around and it passed essentially the same legislation. There were enough differences in it. There were some added provisions so that it wasn't exactly the same bill and they added funding to it. So this time it could not be subject to a referendum. So what I'm proposing is the Constitution A be clarified that you're dealing with bills only subject to the governor's budget recommendation for the total fiscal year and not something that's come up otherwise. And in terms of the initiative, the provision where the, con- the, the legislature can pass the bill, that's wiped out. Yeah. And so so the the initial purpose of this was, again, to get something on the ballot so people could vote on it, not Mm -hmm. to give the legislature an end around uh, of the governor, which is what it has amounted to in the last few decades. And and do you think people are aware uh, just about how this strategy works and how it's been manipulated in the last few years? Well, I mean, okay. we are because we we follow this right. stuff we, and we I pay mean, attention. Look, it, but it's, it's it, you know, do we do we understand things basically, and do we understand things in the detail? Every every one of us gets in our car, turns the key, the motor starts, we take off. The car doesn't start. What do we do? We open up the hood and we look at it. And we say, I don't know what the hell. You know, <laughs> you have to have a mechanic look at the damn thing and tell you what's wrong with it. Same if you go to the dentist. Same if you go to the doctor. You know, you you have a general idea of what's going on and what you should do, but you need a specialist in this. I'm not saying I'm a specialist. I am saying, however, that because of the amount of time I've had to spend uh, and enjoyed spending watching the process in, in action, uh, I've seen these things. I mean, one of the things we didn't discuss is is not just sending it to the governor or se- passing it so it can't go to the governor, but now you have a new wrinkle where in 2018, there were proposals that the petition sponsors wanted to go to the public. They did not want the legislature to pass them. And this had to do with increasing the minimum wage and making sure that people have sick time. The legislature instead passed the legislation. And then after the 2018 election, turned around and amended those bills. Because here's the other little side thing. If the legislature passes the bill without it going to the public, it can then amend or repeal the bill on a simple majority vote of those elected and serving. If the bill, if the initiative goes to the people and the people approve it, it can only be amended with a three quarters majority of the legislature, which is very, very high bar. So in 2018, after the election, the legislature changed those proposals so that they were basically the same as the law was to begin with. In other words, they they gutted them. They took them out of effect. Now, whether you opposed that or, or supported that, that's up to you. The point of the matter is they did exactly the opposite of what the petition and uh, sponsors wanted. And that's why, in my mind, the Constitution needs to be amended to take the provision allowing the legislature to pass the proposal out of the Constitution. If the petition signatures are valid, then it goes to the ballot. 
Uh, well, and John, it seems to be one of the unintended consequences of this is that you have a situation where lawmakers are not the ones who are actually making laws in the state. You've got political operatives or special interest groups that can organize a petition signature, just lobby enough people to get what they want. They don't actually have to do any of the work other than vote for it after it's already done. And and I mean, I, I don't want to sound too cynical, but but what's the point of having a legislature if this is going to be the way we do this going forward? It's it's. Um... Well, you know, you don't want to sound too cynical. Well, it's, unfortunately, cynicism is is it's part of our job. Reality, yes, yeah. exactly. Um, this 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 goes in hat in hand with so many different things that are going on in terms of the money that's in politics, in terms of in this state, for example, term limits, um, and the effect that they have on legislation in general and legislators. Uh, you've got folks here that come in that that literally cannot get the knowledge that they need in, in order to uh, to deal with things because they're just here for a very short period of time. I'm not saying the term limits are a, a thousand percent bad. I'm just saying the system that we have is bad and it should be changed. Um, there, and and it, 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 you see this not just in Michigan, but you see this nationwide and it goes along with the, uh, the increased extremism developing uh, in this country, again, on both sides, mostly lately on the right, but on both sides. But, uh, I mean, but th- this is a common sense change, in my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. These changes we're talking about to the Constitution, uh, getting back to the original meaning of this and actually. Making and I'm sure glad that, to hear you say that because I think they're perfectly common sense, too. Yeah, I, I, I think they are. But you mentioned these sort of, you know, extreme points of view that we have. There are going to be some special interest groups that are going to be very actively opposing any changes like this, if indeed they even come up for any sort of discussion, which they may or may not. We're trying to get that discussion going, obviously. But when you look at groups like Right to Life of Michigan, for instance, which has been very successful utilizing this over the years, they're going to put a lot of money into making sure that this does not change, aren't they? Well, they they could, but and and and, and they're just I, one group. I'm just using right. them as an example because wanna, they figured and, and this out. In terms of Right to Life, they're one group that they don't use paid signatures. I mean, they have enough people who are who are enthusiastic volunteers. They go out there and they have had success at the ballot. Yes. They have had proposals that the legislature would not pass. They've gone to the voters and the voters have, have voted for them. So uh, there is history on their side. I, you know, But are you talking about if you look at other types of organizations, and I'm thinking more in the way of, of business organizations and whatnot, who have in some respects taken some advantage of this, they may oppose it. Um, and they may oppose it for those very reasons, because they've been able to get what they wanted passed. Um, and put into place without going to the people. And as we saw in 2018 with the uh, uh, minimum wage proposal and the sick time proposals, they've also been able to get the legislature to essentially defeat those proposals not by not going to the ballot. So yes, I think that if, if we are seriously talking about making sure that the people have the right, have full political power as the constitution dictates, then these changes need to be made to ensure that it's the people making those decisions. Well, and and let's just give it a a little bit of perspective here. You actually put some numbers in here about the actual number of signatures required to get something to this stage compared to the actual population in the state of Michigan. And, you know, yeah, you can say 300,000 signatures. That's a whole lot of people that want something. 
But as far as the voting population goes, it really isn't. You have a situation where those people who put their signatures have more political power than your typical voter does. Yes. I mean, that's exactly correct. And, 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 you know, this gets beyond this. We're not even going into other areas. Like what are the circulators actually telling people when they, uh, when they hand them a a petition, Uh, both sides have have actually played fast and loose a little bit on, on that. Um, You know, what are the requirements for uh, making sure that signatures are actually valid you know, there's a number of different issues uh, that you can go into. Those can be handled statutorily now um, if, if there's an intent to do so. But, uh, but yes, you, you're 340,000 people is a lot of people. And that's a high number because in most elections, it's most years, it's much smaller. It's always decided. The number of signatures is always decided as a percentage of the number of people who voted in the race for governor. And in 2018, we had the highest number of people running for voting for governor that we ever had in this in this state's history. So 8% of that more than 4 million voters, 340,000, that's, you know, 8% of 4 million. That's not a majority. That does not in any way reflect what all the people, a majority of the people think. And I, I it, it's just become well, more and more apparent to me that we have to go back to saying the people actually thought about this. The people actually said they want to do this. Well, and the interesting thing is I'm one of those people that, you know, somebody brings a a petition up to me and they say, hey, we're trying to get this on the ballot, which is the way it's always presented, because ultimately that's what they suggest. Mm -hmm. They're not they're never telling you that they're doing this so that they can do an end run around the governor or something along those lines. They say, well, this is to put this on the ballot. And a lot of people will sign that petition saying, I think people should be able to vote on this, but there's no intention of it ever getting to a vote. Um, so I'm wondering how many of those 300,000 plus that are signing this are just, you know, good citizens who think that that people should have a right to vote on these things and are aware that they're being utilized in this way. Well, I mean, I would certainly encourage people to try to read the petition language. Uh, but but would, the petition and, language, again, it's it's the language is there. It's, it it's be, what would be on the ballot. Right. And, and, I, would, I, would, and I, I would certainly encourage people to be more generally knowledgeable about what's going on anyway. But um but yes, I think you're absolutely right. That, that, that when you go to the, the point of, do people feel like, well, if you want to put it on the ballot, you should have that right. Okay, if that's the way you feel, I don't criticize that. I think that's, I, you know, I probably, I may vote, I may sign for it too, even if I disagree with it. But I need to know that it's actually going to the people. I need to know that it's the people that are going to make that decision, exactly. not the legislature. I, I would agree with you if on this that isn't point. An initial- Initiated petition. This is an initiated act of the people. It needs to go to the people for the decision, the final decision. All right. John Lindstrom joining us here on the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thanks, everybody, for listening to The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. I really do appreciate all of your support. Don't forget, if you like this podcast, it's important that you share it, that you rate this podcast, and that, of course, you subscribe to this podcast. It all helps. And the more sponsors we get, the more interviews we can do, the more shows I can put together. And I certainly do uh, want to make sure that you are enjoying what you're listening to. So if you have suggestions, you can reach out to me. The Craig Folly Show at gmail.com. Again, that's the Craig Folly Show at gmail.com. You can get through to me that way. It's very, very easy to do. And you can find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Snapchat, just about anywhere. 
In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Looking for the latest news and information about our great city of Detroit? Head to DeadlineDetroit.com for one-stop shopping for the most important stories of the day. Deadline Detroit has some of the best journalists in town, providing original reporting, videos, and podcasts that keep you in the know about everything happening in Detroit. Become a member today, and you'll automatically be entered into a drawing for prizes, including gift cards to some of Detroit's best restaurants. Go to DeadlineDetroit.com membership.